Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. How are you doing? How many got out yesterday and enjoyed that? Wow, huh? What a blessing. I mean, look at this. What a, what a blessing. And um, yeah, amazing day. Welcome to all of you who are visiting with us, everybody online. If uh, you're here for the first time, if you're here back seasonally, whatever it may be, excited for you to be here. Would love to engage, ask, answer any questions you have about the life of the church. Would in- just invite you to come and stay after. It'll be short. Um, right after this, we'll get, like I said, get some coffee. Come back in here, and uh, you'll just hear from the elders of the church. Just some vision, direction headed for this year. Um, so I'd love to have you come for that. Also for the parents, got a, a big parenting class kicking off here on Sunday mornings as well. Um, so come back for that. We are wrapping up 1 John this morning. So if you're joining us, we've been in this series in the fall through the book of 1 John. Um, we're going to wrap it up. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 13 through the end, verse 21 of 1 John. There's a Bible under the seat in front of you if you don't have a Bible. If you have your phone, tablet, whatever, that's okay, but we will judge you because you really need a paper Bible. It's much more holy. I'll leave that with you. Um, So, uh, also, we're going to finish this. The next two weeks, we're going to do one week on 2 John and then one week on 3 John. And uh, very rarely, these two little books, they get kind of left behind. So if you want to read ahead, we're going to dive in on those. And then we'll kick off a new series, February, um, on this title called Not Just Human. And we're going to really drill into this idea of what does it mean to be spiritual, to be a person filled and indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, have a little fun season working through the New Testament and, well, the whole Bible, really, as it deals with that big issue. Um, So hope you will dive in and join us um, for all that. Let me just pray for this. Father, thank you, Lord. Um, Lord, for just your incredible patience, your mercy, your grace. Um, Lord, thank you for your word, God. You have not, you know, left us without um, guidance, Lord. Uh, Father, I just pray right now, Lord, you would, as we sang, um, come, Holy Spirit, let us make room for you, for the seed of your word to fall on our hearts and bear fruit, God. As Jeremiah says, your word is like a fire, Lord, I pray that it would come with conviction, awaken us, grip us, captivate us, Lord, with your heart, your heart and with your word and your truth. Um, uh, Father, um, If your spirit doesn't come in the midst of this, Lord, we're just having a lecture. We're just having an intellectual time. We need your spirit to come in power and bring this truth alive in us as individuals, as a church. Help us receive it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Um, So how many uh, this week have been kind of captivated by the whole Damar Hamlin story going on. Um, nobody's following that? The football player? The, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> um, I've been watching that, and folks, I just say how I, it's, there's something about it that has just brought a great sense of, and everybody I talk to, a great sense of hope. 
and just some correction maybe, and just, it's just this, one of these, this, of course it's not little to him or his team, but just this event that happens that kind of almost, I hope that it has some sense of re, recalibrating us maybe as a nation in, in one of many, many ways, right? Um, I, I love just watch. I know y'all probably saw the, the clip on ESPN, you know, that, I mean, uh, wow, um, to step out. That's something he would have been fired on the spot for. Right, just just not too long ago, right? Just just blaze. I know, I know. I probably shouldn't pray. It's probably not appropriate. But then he just goes for it, right? Um, it's awesome. And you read the Wall Street Journal, and uh, they had a great article in there. Um, and, and the comment, one of the comments was, "This was a time for our nation, not for a secular response, but for a religious response." That's the Wall Street Journal. Now, where has that been the last couple of years, right? So something, this is God's grace. This is God's showing, look, there is, there, is, there is faith out there. There is this little moment, and I just pray it's not, it just doesn't whisk away, right? And that without fruit, right, without that bearing um, fruit in our nation, right, in the church, right, especially to be bold, loving, but bold, Right? Um, and you just love to see, right, the faith of not only that player, but just, the, just what, how that spread out, right? Um, and I, I think people really kind of waking up like, yeah, what are we thinking here is, look, so much of life, secular response has nothing in the uncertainties and the trauma and the tough times. A secular response has nothing to offer the human heart, whether it's the individual or whether it's the church, a nation, whatever it is, is this should awaken us to, again, wow, what, where's our footing? Where's the rock? Where's our foundation? And to this question I want us to wrestle with uh, this morning, what can we be sure about? All right, when things like that happen, right, it brings us to this, 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 this thing, right, where everything gets kind of put away and we're left with, wow, what can I really stand? Where's the firm foundation? What can I really be sure about in life? Um, is that something you've ever really spent much time thinking about? And is that important? Why is that important? And this is a great question, by the way, to, to sit down and have an honest conversation with, with people about. It's a great door opener, right, into the realm of, of healthy discussion about God and about our heart and, and what people believe, what's, what's making them tick on the inside is just asking them, hey, what can you sh- be really sure about? Right? And, and of course, some people will just say death and taxes, right? And um, that's, you know, Benjamin Franklin, right? And it's fascinating, Franklin actually gave that quote, that response, right after our Constitution, this nation, was signed and done. And it was in a letter he wrote, and he said, simply, I know the Constitution is done, and it has a great sense and hope of permanency here. But then he goes on to say, talking about our nation, right, that, but really the only thing we can be sure about is death and taxes. And folks, if that's our response, that's kind of morbid, isn't it? Think about it. If that's, our, if that's the response of what I can really be sure about, death, I can be sure about that, I can be sure about taxes. What a morbid perspective. And so if somebody was to ask you, hey, tell me, what are you absolutely sure about? What can you be sure about? How would you respond? And let me just 
Let me just take a little jab at something that we need to take a jab at in our culture today, especially we've got some young people in here and just the whole culture and educational process. It's very kind of hip and chic today in higher educational institutions as well as it's crept into the church to kind of coddle doubt. And this idea of, hey, you can't really be certain about anything. That to, to really be certain about something, it causes all kinds of problems in culture and everything else. Let me just say, that's the biggest lie there ever was. This idea that, oh, doubt is good. We need to foster doubt. We need to, is absolutely contrary to everything in the Bible as far as what faith is. And so I just want to say, think through this. Think through it biblically. The scripture, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is not, and it does not grow, it does not take hold in a person's life where I just get caught up like, well, in questions and wondering about things. And so John ends this book with four things that he encourages the church to be absolutely sure about. And he says, even his purpose statement, as he says, actually in writing, this is John the Apostle, he wrote the Gospel of John, and in chapter 20, he gives the same um, kind of purpose statement that you may know that you have eternal life. This isn't something you're to doubt. You doubt it, and faith erodes, and you open a door. We open a door in our soul for the enemy to come, as we're going to see, and erode that and bring all kinds of shaky ground. The foundation gets rocked. The building starts to get wobbly, right? And so John's writing this to a church that was struggling. It was under attack. It was being persecuted heavily. It was weak, right? It... um, It had the whole book too. It had false teachers who had left, had come up in the church, had left the church and were now actually denying Christ and speaking a false teaching and trying to dissuade the church, pull people away into non-truth. And so he's writing them to, to get their feet back on the rock, get your feet back on the foundation, right, of what we absolutely can be sure about. Now, um, just to swing back here, this idea of doubt is, um, I think we've done so much more discussion, apologetics and everything. There's a place for all that. Um, And thinking about doubt, wrestling with the uncertainties, then we have actually drilling into what can we be sure about. And why did God give his word? And Jesus said this, right, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? He says, those who hear my word and do my word, Those who are sure about my word, they are like a house built on rock. And when the storm hits, it stands. To those who waffle, to those who continue to doubt, to those who do not obey, to those who sit back and just question and and wonder about the certainty of it, guess what? You're on shifting sand. When the storm comes, you'll be blown away. And folks, I, I just say what's happening in our culture right now and in the church itself, we're seeing a lot of shifting sand. We're seeing the pull away. We're seeing the drift away. We're seeing faith waffle, right? Rather than stand strong and know, have the assurance to know this is what I'm absolutely sure about. Now for the spiritual life to take hold, for the Spirit of God to move and, and to make us a new creation and to walk in His ways, to experience the promises of the Bible, I have to have assurance. If I don't have the assurance of my salvation, I open my soul up to a whole swath of doubt. And you know what? I never get going. Now, 
uh, what I'm going to do a little different, I'm going to just, rather than read the whole thing, I'm going to just read and talk as we go, if that's okay. Kind of break down each verse this morning, because there's a lot here as we end this, this wonderful little letter. And he says this, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to the church. He's writing to those who have faith. He's writing to those who believe in Jesus. But he's writing with the purpose that you may know you have eternal life. That you would not be drift here and there by false teachers, by what happens in the world, by persecution, by just go down the list of things. The attack of the idols, we'll get to that in a minute. The distractions of the world and on and on and on. That you may know, that your feet may be firmly planted on the rock of truth, the word of God. And, and you may not um, be blown away right when these things come. And so there is this, right here in verse 13, we see that there is this um, possibility, right? Uh, and it's probably all of Christians um, experience at some point, right, is to doubt, right? It's because we have the flesh still alive in us and selfishness and everything else and spiritual warfare. We could go down a whole bunch of reasons, but um, we believe, but we don't have the assurance of our salvation, John's writing this to assure the church. Church, I'm writing that you may know, you may be assured of eternal life, that you have been redeemed, that you have life with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And as we're going to see here a little further, that no one can snatch you out of his hands. Right? That you are secure in him. Now, why is that important? Why is the assurance of salvation? That would be the first thing that John talks about. Why is the assurance of salvation important? Why is it important that you know that you're saved? That you don't just, ah, I'm, I'm you know, still wrestling with this. Hmm? Right. Right. Is it over and over again? It says, so we're not a ship that's just tossed to and fro. Folks, I, I commend to you, what's the state of faith, Christian faith in the church in America today? And we could go back here just a few years and look, right? I, I, I think this is God trying to be a strong message to us. Is your faith strong? Because the storm's coming, that much we know. And all these little storms are to strengthen us or to our gracious movements. Even like the thing with Damar Hamlet, that is a gracious move of God. A powerful thing that God allowed to happen, right, to, to get the attention of a secular culture that is denying and putting into law clear laws that contradict God's word and are abomination to his holiness. He's graciously still giving these little windows. People, I'm here. Your answer is not in your own mind, not in your own ways. Right? Amen. To know. To know who he is. And uh, we talk about just the importance of identity, right? Um, and knowing who we are in Christ. Folks, if, if I'm not sure about something, it is impossible to have hope. Now, I just want this to sink in. The idea of assurance is integral to faith and to hope and to love. 
without assurance of who God is, what He's done for us, and my own salvation, there is no hope. Hope's meaningless. And so people talk about hope all the time, and all that is, and I, I, I worry that even in the church, it often is just this very fleshly enthusiasm, because some people are just naturally positive people, right? But what good is just being positive or just being enthusiastic? Is there anything behind it? Is there a foundation to define what that hope is actually in? Hope is meaningless without assurance, without certainty. And this is exactly what the scripture talks about, what faith is. And this is a gift, Ephesians 2, to you, being given to you by the Holy Spirit, that you have faith that your spirit has been awakened by the Holy Spirit inside your soul. You now can have eyes, right, to see and to have hope. Right, because of what God has done for your soul and what He's done on the cross through the, uh, the resurrection and everything else. So we can have hope. And without it, why is this important? Is faith cannot reside, right, where and grow, at least foster, in a place of doubt. It will not. Contrary to what so many, even I'm going to say Christian teachers, right, who dabble in faith, talk more about doubt than they do, and questions, and, and the, oh, the importance of talking about, you know, and embracing doubt and, and everything. Folks, that will erode your faith. The scripture says, set your mind on things above. Scripture says, right, deny yourself. Scripture says, set your heart and the promises of God. Right? And what he said, build up one another's faith. When we're gathered together, we're here. Right? To build each other up. To engage each other. Set our, our, get our minds off the things of the world and on him. It's a constant. Because the, the, the battles we're going to see is a, to try to crush our faith. Right? Attack that foundation. And if somebody's insecure in who they are in Christ, remember, John's writing to believers. If I'm insecure about who I am in Him, where my foundation is, is I'm susceptible to the winds of culture. And we're ultimately going to see the worst case scenario of where that heads here in just a second. And so he goes on, verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have, to, look at the words he uses. In John, whether it's his gospel or this book, he's wanting us to be confident, assured, rock solid in understanding who Jesus is, who is, what his word is, right? And just be able to stand boldly. Without that, remember last week, right? We had for the new year is this, um, in the uh, first part of chapter five was God's given us an assignment. And that assignment is to overcome the world. That's a big one. How you gonna do that? To overcome the world. And we're to wake up every morning. First thoughts, Lord, I'm on assignment with you. You've redeemed me. You've brought an eternal life to me. You've filled me with your Holy Spirit. You've given me your power to help me overcome the lust of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life, all the things in the world, right? The temptation of the enemy, everything else. To be on assignment for you, God. To overcome the world. That's your assignment, church. That's my assignment. To overcome the world. How am I going to do that? Well, I can tell you right now, the enemy, so his attack is always subversive, right? It is to start to crumble assurance. Because when assurance crumbles, there is no strength. And this is why, Paul, why John is writing, church, build yourself up. Without an assurance of your salvation, without the assurance of faith, a growing sense of faith, faith can't grow, and there is no spiritual strengthening and maturity into the next things we can be sure about, which is the next one, 
is the assurance of answered prayers. So all these connect together, right? John's weaving them together. I'm just scratching the surface this morning. It begins with the assurance of salvation. From there, right, is that my salvation is that God loves me. And he wants a relationship with me, not some just robot thing. He wants to hear from me. He wants to hear from you. He wants dialogue, fellowship, intimacy, presence with you. He wants to um, speak to you. He wants to answer your prayers. Listen to what John says here. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know, look at the, and the other eye of just this word that John uses for know is the assurance of something, not something debatable. By faith, I take this, I know it. Right? So something deeply beyond my intellect, as the scripture speaks about, when faith and intellect and everything all comes together, faith is brought alive. The new creation, the new identity comes alive. That you may know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. Wow, what happens when you know that God has answered your prayers? What happens? Men, has, I just, have you had, do you absolutely know in your life, can you give testimony of God's answered prayer in your life? Everybody? I hope so. If you know, let me just say, if you know, and this is really important, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, and you this morning have a struggle with, man, I, I can't remember... Yeah, I, and not able to give testimony of God's answer prayer in your life, I hope you take that as a big wake-up call this morning. Press into Him. Let faith rise. He wants to hear from you, and He wants to engage and answer our prayers. Now, what does it say? The key here, though, this kind of throws this, um, this little thing at us. If we ask according to His will, we have the assurance that he will answer that prayer. Folks, all of prayer, this is really important. The whole Christian life, Jesus, are you going to come follow me? You've got to deny yourself. Pick up your cross, follow me daily. All of prayer is bringing myself into the presence of God and lining myself up, every bit of me, my mind, my intellect, my emotion, my feelings, my will, submitted to the presence of God. Lord, you speak. You inform me. Holy Spirit, you inform my being. Fill me up, God. Fill me up. And it's learning to pray the Word of God, the things, obviously, if they're in the Word, we know it's His will, and to line up with those things. But what I, just, just as a catch for all of us, is to really evaluate our prayer life. How much of my prayer life is just a checklist of things that I need and that I'm begging God for to move versus how much of my prayer life is setting myself, all of my being, how I'm feeling, decisions I need to make, my will, my intellect, how I think about things and just resting and letting the Spirit of God speak to me. And prayer, folks, ultimately is about us being in the presence of God and lining up with His heart and His mind and His will.
It is not. I believe the American way here is somehow it suddenly got into this that really God's like a gumball machine. I do a little prayer time. I put it in. I get the little gumball. I get my request from God. That is nowhere right within the, in the scriptures. It first and foremost is to enjoy His presence. He wants to enjoy, enjoy our presence with Him. And it is to line everything. And when I get to that point, like Romans 8 says, we don't know how to pray as we ought to. The Holy Spirit is a part of this process. We have to learn how to pray. And that that is the place, folks, where we get strengthened. That is where we can line up with God. Then all of my checklists of prayers and things I need that I'm asking for is now I'm able to bring them to God with a new sense of what? Knowing His will. Knowing His heart. Now those requests come more powerfully right before God and we're going to see this exchange there's so much more we could say. So why is this? Why is the assurance of answered prayer important, folks? Why is it important for you to know that God hears you and that God will answer you? Why is that important? Yeah, where's your faith? Without that, folks, then the whole thing's a lie. Everything the Christian church speaks about that we're about relationship, not religion. We're about knowing God, hearing God, delighting in Him, hearing His voice. It all's a lie. If... We do not experience in a very intimate, powerful way God's answers, learning to have His will, His desires speak to us, right? And to see when we pray and we line up with Him, we see fruit. Now, now He applies this. Now, this is really important. Listen to this. Remember, all of John's language, he's the lover, he's the disciple of love, like over and over again. How many times is he going to say, church, love one another. Don't worry about loving people out there. That'll come because if you can't do it here, it doesn't matter what social justice, it doesn't matter how many good works you do out there, if you don't learn how to love one another here, the church is not the church and my power will not, it it will be completely misled what happens out there. And we've got it backwards. We put a priority out there before we've got the house straight. Love one another. And we've talked about in this whole series, right? Before you come to church, change the whole idea of church. Lord, who do you have for me to love today? Who can I practically love? Before I leave, who can I engage with? I'm available, God. Show me how to love one another, right? In the church. And, um, and so he goes on. Look at this. Verse 18, 16. If anyone sees his brother... So remember, the whole context of all this is brother and sister. It's the family of God. If we don't get it right here, again... We won't get it right out there. And he says, okay, brothers and sisters, if you see your brother committing a sin, not leading to death, we'll talk about what that means in a second, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So here John goes, throw some big stuff there, right? All right, we're going to try in a very short period of time, break this down. The main point I want to show here is how John applies this. To love one another. What do we do most of the time when we see a brother or sister sinning? What's our first response usually? Can you believe what such and such is doing? Man, did you hear what they did? Well, I don't know about but look at their kids. It's called gossip. And it's ugly. 
God hates it. He hates it when we judge each other. What is the command? Wow. It doesn't say talk to anybody. When we see a brother or sister like out of line, right, clearly from what the Bible says, what, do we, what is the, the command? Pray for them. And we know what John's saying. You know this is the will of God. We know His will is holiness. We know His will is to obey His word. So when we see one of our brothers is doing something that clearly violates what God's will is for their life, we're to first and foremost not talk to others, not, you know, blah, blah. Lord, may you stretch out your hand. What's the promise? And God will give them life. Oh, what a promise. And the problem is we know what does sin do in our life? It kills. It only leads to death. Oh, yes, we all know, we've all experienced the, the temporal delights of some sin. And that's the lie of the enemy. But ultimately, sin guts you. It guts you of life. And so the church is to be the place where we first and foremost, we're praying for each other. Folks, what would happen if we did this? Just think about what would happen if we heard about somebody and uh, was, you know, was involved in this, we heard about a child or one of our students was, was doing here or there. What if we, rather than, oh, can you believe? Right? What if we just went to our knees, Lord, may you stretch out your according, here it is, faith, according to your promise, God, I take you at your word. You've promised. I pray life into this child. I pray life into this person. Lord, may you move powerfully. What would happen? I'm telling you, I think we know what happened. We see some transformation that we're not seeing in the church right now. And I say church, big C, across America, right? That's why this is important. And that's a great place to start at many, many fronts. Now, real quickly, <clears throat> let me uh, deal with this sin unto death, what this is all about, okay? And that leads us actually into this next assurance of spiritual growth. And, um, and so... Why does John talk? What's this sin unto death? Uh, again, I could take you through the comments throughout church history, all the different beliefs. But ultimately, what is John fighting against in this? Who is he warning the church against? These were a special group of people, and this is nothing new in their son. It's happening right now in America in a big way. It's people who say they were believers, they were part of the church for however long in their life, many of them very gifted teachers specifically, and they left the church. They slowly drifted from the church, but they didn't just drift into secular life, is that they actually moved into false teaching. They started denying Christ or denying some of the fundamentals. It begins, by the way, with denying this is the word of God with authority. From there, the, the slope is very steep and it goes downhill. And John was warning them that those, and again, remember the scriptures, Hebrews 6, we could dive in there, many other places, it gives grave warning to those who at one point confessed Jesus as the, forgiven, the one who forgave them and redeemed them, and then at some time later to reject that, to turn from Christ. Uh, the technical terminology is apostasy. And John specifically is addressing church, watch out. Is, and he doesn't say, absolutely, don't pray for those people. But he kind of says, I don't say pray for them. In other words, let God, that's in God's hands. Because they've left the church, they've left the faith. 
in the sense of where their foundation is. They have been moved to the outside and God will deal with them like we see applied in 1 Corinthians. Um, but I would say this, folks, we're in a time of, of, of shaking up, of people testing their faith. And when there's a drift away, do not, folks, do not go kind of casual on this that there isn't radical consequence there is a sin unto death, meaning what John clearly means here, right, is spiritual death. There is a clarity in some people's lives. When they reject the Savior, they're done. Now, that's harsh. But it's all through here as we, we could see. And that's why this issue of faith and certainty of what I believe is so absolutely critical. And for us to be praying for people, right, for their faith, right, to be strengthened, Right, and to press in. So John, he doesn't give an admin, don't just pray for them. He's putting a priority, pray specifically for one another. Make that the priority that we would stay strong, that our faith would stay strong, and would not waffle and drift away and be led astray by the false teachers. And he's specifically speaking about people, again, like I said, don't just drift away and just kind of fall in captive to the things of the world. He's talking, folks, about people who are actually embracing a different gospel. And have denied things they once said they believed. Okay? And this is again, this idea of the assurance of spiritual growth. So let me just go on. <clears throat> Verse 18, we know, here it is again, that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. Oh, listen carefully. But he who was born of God, Jesus, protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. So folks, here it is in the heat of life and, and trial and struggle and the storms and temptation and everything else is all of that. We know from all the New Testament is there to prove our faith. Is faith, unless it's tested, is not genuine. Let me say it again. Faith that's not tested is not genuine. Right? In other words, it's when the storm comes and my feet on the rock or is on shifting sand. Whatever that test is, whatever that trial is, we all got them, right? We live in this world. Those are there to test our faith. First Peter makes this very clear. Is my faith going to be strong? And we need each other, right, to hold firm in that. And so the assurance, Paul says, you need to know. You need to know that he's called you for spiritual growth. Is that in Philippians, Paul encouraged the church so that once he begins a good work and he will... He'll complete it, right? Is that he's at work, right? And, and he's going to, and there isn't this, so don't fall back to what doubt will do will put me into a place of, of doubting my spiritual growth, doubting whether I'm growing or not, right? And, uh, and, and John's like, come on, church, you know God, he started to work. He is going to grow you up. You're going to see transformation in your life. You're going to see the Spirit of God, right, come alive um, inside you. And then the last one is this. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who's been born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him. Right? John 17, eternal life. What is that? That we may know intimately have fellowship, relationship with the living God. Not doubt that. Who is true is the Son, whose Son Jesus Christ. 
He's the true God, the eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And that's how John ends the book, the letter. It's like, man, how about break that down a little bit more? But he kind of did in this book, right? What's an idol? What's an idol? It's not something, not just some statue that people bow to, like, you know, throughout history. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Anything, anything that removes our attention and priority from serving and loving and worshiping God. It's anything, right? Little children, he says, come on, keep yourselves from idols. Idol will rob us of faith. It'll rob us of any bit of assurance. And that's why the enemy uses them. He uses distractions of, of all the things, and even good things, right? Even good things. Is that he, he wants to, the enemy, right, to get us in the grips of the things of the world. So an idol is anything, Lord, that is, keep, that is eroding my assurance and my priority in who God is. And what he's done for me. And we could go down the list of different things, but uh, I think this morning we could easily put up there, what are the idol, the main idols? We don't maybe have statues we're bound to yet in America. Yet, I say. But we've got some big things that we're bowing and getting real excited about out there. And that we spend more time giving ourselves to than we do the pursuit of God and really wrestling with the question of, man, what can I really be sure about? Right? And so I just want to end this book. Dirt, y'all can come on up and... And close this out, folks, with an encouragement. God wants you to be sure. Jesus wants you to be sure of what He's done for you, how much He loves you, that you have eternal life. And it's not just waiting for heaven. That life, John, it's life that's now. It's living this new creation now. It's experiencing the promises of God now. The assurance. The assurance. And so folks, I just ask you to think here as we move into this new year. How much time do we really think about what we can really be sure about? And remember, Jesus ended the whole Sermon on the Mount as I began with, right? Is, man, the person that puts his hope and his assurance on my word, he's building his house on rock. And there is not a storm that can wipe him out. But the person who's unsure... Right? The person who just doesn't heed, he maybe dabbles, it's like shifting sand. And folks, there's a level of faith and maturity that God, you know, Jesus never put a limit on what you can experience. That blows me away. Think about that. He never put a limit on how holy you can be. Everything you want, you can take by faith. There's no exception to that in the Word of God. He never put a limit on that. He said, huh? I'll give you all the promise, right? Romans 8, 32. We could go promise after promise. Um, I guess Luke, what, 13 or 11? He who asks, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who, who ask and pursue? So let me just pray for us and uh, let's just take some time just, boy, responding, right, to, uh, to the word of God this morning. Father, we just love you. Lord, for each of us, come this beginning of the year. Oh, Lord, let us wrestle. And let us, Lord, maybe just like the song we sung, re-surrender to you, God. What we're standing on. 
Jesus, may you be the rock, our rock. Holy Spirit, I pray right now, anyone's wrestling with doubt, with how much God loves them, what God will do for them, they're wrestling with hope, a lack of hope. Holy Spirit, come. Do what only you can do deep inside our soul. Awaken us. Assure us. Let faith, Lord, come alive. Yeah, Lord. And Lord, I, I do, I feel led, Lord, this morning to pray, Lord, for anyone in here or anyone who's connected someone in here, this church family, Father, I pray. I pray for those people who are questioning their faith. I pray for those who are wandering, Lord, from your word, your church. Lord, in the name of Jesus, come. Draw them back and bring them back home, Father. Bring them back home into your house. Jesus' name, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.